we would like to issue a trigger warning for today's episode with special attention to our Asian and Asian American listeners due to the use of a racial slur when describing an incident. Know that we see you and thank God for your inclusion in his tapestry of diversity. Welcome to Truth Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So Michelle couldn't be with us today, but please keep her, yes, please keep her and the city of St. Louis in your prayers, okay? Um, Now, as you all know, we are in our final series for this season. We're sad. We're sad, but we need some rest, y'all. Yeah, yeah. We've been putting in work, y'all. We've been putting in work. We've been putting in work. Trauma work for y'all. Um, and so our final series, as y'all know, is multi-ethnic churches, a foretaste of heaven, or bulwarks of white supremacy. You know, just a very easy, light subject. <laughs> uh, you know, this is just the truth table way. Um, and so the three of us, uh, we have been seeking to answer this question um, through our own experiences. And, you know, anecdotal stories have their place, but we thought that it would be best for us to end this series by actually consulting an expert. So without further further ado, we are excited and honored to have Dr. Glenn Bracey at the table with hey. us. How are you doing, brother? How you doing, I'm man? feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm honored to be here. Thank you all for having me. We are so excited. We're like, yes, we actually have somebody who knows what they're talking about at the table. <laughs> Well, I'm like, yes, because I've been listening to y'all since you started, and I never thought I'd be on the show, so this is awesome. Oh, Thank you so how cool much. Is that? How cool yeah, is I'm a big so fan. Cool. I love your I love your podcast. Oh, Yay! You. Praise the Lord. Somebody <laughs> loves us. So, <laughs> well, you know what, y'all? Before we get started, why don't I tell y'all just a little bit about this brother right here? Now, Dr. Glenn Bracey is the assistant professor of sociology at Villanova University, specializing in racism and social movements. He has published in several leading journals, including award-winning articles on the white supremacist nature of the U.S. government and racist structures, I'm sorry, racist cultures in white evangelical churches. He is currently working on two books, Saving Whiteness, which analyzes white evangelicalism as a race-based social movement, and 21st century lynchings, examining recent white on black killings and black responses to high profile murders. Mm. Those sound fascinating to us, Glenn. Very yes. fascinating. They also are very expensive for my therapy bills. Mm. I know. <laughs> I can only <laughs> imagine the podcast. <laughs> 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 right. That's not the replacement for therapy, y'all. Let me let me let me say that clearly. <laughs> go to therapy people. Ask the therapist. Go to, Don't go to therapy. Truly. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Glenn, we are thrilled to have you at the table with us, um, really to talk about your journal article uh, that you co-authored with uh, Wendy Leo Moore entitled Race Tests, Racial Boundary Maintenance in White Evangelical Churches. So welcome to the table. Thank you for taking time out to chill with us and talk to us about um, your own findings and studies. Thank you so much again for having me. I'm always 
surprised and honored when people find use in the work that I'm doing. I hope that it's useful. And uh, moments like this just confirm I'm doing the right thing. So oh, thank you so much. Excellent, excellent. Well, yes. well, Glenn, of course, welcome, welcome, welcome. So first, first question up comes from me. And this is actually not specific to the research um, that we're going to spend a fair amount of our time talking about. This is just more broadly speaking. And um, I guess a couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity, Kimmy and I, to meet a number of of students who listen to Truth's Table, college students. And so yes. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about vocational identity, like how it is that you were able mm -hmm. to come to discerning to be a part of the social sciences and as a person of faith, um, connecting those things together. So if you could just give us a little, a little bit on that, I think that would be helpful to a lot of our students who listen as well as people who are older than traditional age students who are thinking about vocational identity. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it's <laughs> one that I definitely struggled with for a while. Mm. Um, you know, I, whew, the, it might be easier if I start with uh, kind of chronologically how mm -hmm. I came to Christ, and then how mm. I came sure, to yeah. sociology. That. If that's okay, preach, great, preach. So, Please. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I like I have this cool little campy story actually <laughs> where. Um, you know, when I was a, a kid, and oh Lord, I'm gonna date myself, but here we go. Um, it was uh, Ju July 19th uh, or July 20th, whichever one was a Sunday uh, of 1987. Mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, in I was at home and uh, I was being raised by my parents in a, a traditional stomp clap, you know, black uh, Pentecostal church. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think one of you described yourselves as. Uh, uh, Pentabaptist. And that is right. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I heard that. I was like, that's me. That like, that's, is, is that a seminary somewhere? Right. Um, so I was raised, I was raised in that tradition and, uh, at the soul saving station in Wilmington, North Carolina. And, um, a friend uh, of the family came over and brought one of those old campy movies called uh, He Came as a Thief in the Night, right? Mm. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen it. If you've seen it, it is it is definitely strange and uh, <laughs> it is very scary for children. <laughs> so, uh, um, and, you know, and but these things were real to me because my uh, my. I, I'm the oldest of three. There's me, and then my sister's 15 months behind me, and then we had a have a brother who's five years behind me, but he died as an infant mm. at four months old. Mm. So the notion that people could uh, be here today and you know that tomorrow wasn't promised was very real to me mm -hmm. uh, at a very young age. So mm -hmm. I saw that movie and uh, decided I wanted to be saved and didn't want to go to hell. And so uh, I, uh, you know, lined up. I was the oldest, so I got to go first, and all the other kids were uh, behind me, and we all uh, made our professions of faith that night. Um, and, and, it, and it has stuck. You know, they, they raised us in the faith, and we went on. So when I was about 14, uh, I started uh, manifesting depression um, mm. a lot, which is about the age that uh, boys tend to manifest depression if they if they are going to struggle with it. And my mother bought me two things. She bought me a journal to write in um, and she bought me my first Bible. Mm. And, uh, you know, and so every night I read a couple of chapters and or at least one, I think, every night and built that up over time. And um, then I went away to school. I, um, and that's a whole nother story. But uh, I ended up um, 
I ended up going away to college at the University of Florida mm -hmm. and enjoying my time there. And that was where I've met, I began to meet people who are outside the Pentabaptist tradition, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and so there was a Bible study on, on campus at one point, and uh, this young woman invited another guy. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to go. So, um, so she invited him. He never showed up. She only went to that one, but I stuck. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I ended up joining um, with that movement. And um, for five and a half, six years, uh, I served um, as a growing but kind of lay minister for them. So I, I preached uh, the Sunday sermons. I helped them raise money. I organized evangelism teams. Yeah. Um, our church went from 80 people when I joined to 450 when I left. Wow. And there wow. were, um, and about half of them were either people that um, I had uh, brought in or that guys I discipled had brought in. So, wow. um, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the influence was growing and, and so, uh, you know, I was I was learning. I was learning, but there were problems. So the the church was uh, majority white church mm -hmm. uh, was trying mm -hmm. to diversify. the The leadership was um, uh, majority white, but again trying to diversify. And so you know we're all working together. And uh, but the but the the blackness of my faith was always a problem. Mm. And I say that in multiple ways. One, I was raised charismatic, which mm -hmm. uh, I think people who are uh, not part of privileged groups in society, and we see this around the world, mm -hmm. um, tend to be more open to charisma than yes, uh, yeah. people who are part of privileged groups. Mm -hmm. And so they read that as problematic. Um, I was a Democrat. I was one of only three Democrats in the church when I joined. Oh. Um, and yeah, yeah. And, Very familiar. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. And so they accused me of, at one point, uh, one of the pastor's four-year-old daughters uh, accused me of supporting baby killers, oh which was oh <laughs> remarkable, but it, it gives you a sense of the uh, strength of the indoctrination, right, around yeah. the politics. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, and and then you know we when when we talked about uh, just how to do leadership and how to do discipleship and those sorts of things, um, you know I did it in a in a very black way that was mm -hmm. uh, effective, but also um, I think was unusual to them. So I think they I think the the leadership took a, spent a lot of time and, and other people in the church spent a lot of time uh, wanting me to still be special and attractive and yet um, and and yet conform and be more comfortable you know mm -hmm. at, at one point they took me to meet with uh, the 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 local leader of the Republican Party to talk about running with them <laughs> and you know so there were all of these kinds of okay. all of these kinds of things right <laughs> that <laughs> that eventually wow. showed me that um, that race and the faith, were wrapped up in ways that were really, really, really hard to disentangle, wow. and were going to be a problem for me, and were certainly a problem for the church. So, mm. you know, you know mm. af after they once accused me of stealing, um, because oh quote, we saw your hair. I had a little afro at the time, and they said we we saw your hair in silhouette, 
and uh, and so we just thought there there's a black man leaving the church. He must be he must be stealing, mm-hmm. and so all the other ministers had run after me in the street to like tackle me and realize that it was me. You know, so after that and a series of other things, including um, wow. one of the lead ministers said to me, he said he said uh, we were having a fight over charisma and the doctrine, and we were you know we we met on Fridays to talk about the doctrine of the church, and so he finally just looked at me and he said, Glenn. That's why we don't let blacks make doctrine. They're too emotional. <laughs> and oh, so, oh you know, there were lots of these kinds of things where it just oh. began to like spill out yeah. the, uh-huh. the, the overlay really of race and, and religion. Yeah. Put a racist on that. Wow. Right, right. And so, you know, and but those things exposed I, I read them as um, you know, the racism seeping out around the edges. Sure. But I didn't know how deep it went. Yeah. And yeah. but I knew I couldn't I couldn't stay anymore. And so mm-hmm. uh, I left the church and mm-hmm. um, became a uh, and went to graduate school. Uh, and I moved okay. to Texas and uh, I've been doing sociology as a social science scientist since then. But I, I'm. But to get back directly to your question, I know I'm long-winded in my answer. Oh, so no, it's good me. stuff. Excellent. Okay. Um, Very good stuff. You know, the, the the church kid is still in me, so you know, like long, <laughs> long it. responses. We love okay. It. <laughs> um, you know, the the uh, I I felt in social science that the academy was generally liberal, was generally not taking the church seriously, mm-hmm. was every you know two and or four years waking up and going, who are these people? Where are they coming from? These evangelicals who are running the country, running our lives, you know, like uh, controlling every uh, every election. And to the extent that they yeah. spoke about um, people uh, who were evangelical, like conservatives of faith, um, it, was, it, it showed a great lack of understanding, um, a lack of understanding that evangelicals, I think, are people who truly believe that they are not only doing good, but sacrificing their lives to do good. Mm. Um, that, that, that there is a strong framework around uh, not just doctrine, but also a sense of law and, and order. And I don't mean law and order like police, although that's included too. I just mean right. like, um, you know, order around like discipline of life and those sorts of things that, um, you know, social scientists, a- academics just didn't seem to understand. So I saw it as a, as a really unique uh, opportunity for me to say, hey, I, I have a sympathetic view of, uh, the, of the people. I am myself a, a devout Christian, and, um, and I'm also uh, a professional researcher in, in academics. So mm-hmm. let me see what these tools can do to, to help the conversation. Oh, we're so glad that you are in that field. Seriously. I mean, I love, love, love when I hear Christians, you know, that are actually in the social sciences because we, it's so important and it's so needed because I think, um, I think prior to this, you know, election, there was this notion that, oh, you know, the American church, white evangelicals are losing power and strength and numbers Mm. and the GOP needs to, you know, make changes and, you know, uh, overtures to, you know, people of color, right? Uh And we we heard that narrative Uh and a lot of people, you know, bought into it Uh and boy, did they prove us wrong, didn't they? And so so I think there needs to be a, 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 a greater dedication to studying really, uh, this, uh, that, that white supremacist, uh, uh, framework that really motivates and, and moves through white evangelical spaces. That's why when I learned about your study, I was just like, 
oh my gosh, somebody's <laughs> studying this. What? <laughs> like, like, this is amazing. And so, uh, so I was like, we got to get about the table. We got to talk. Like, this is what we do. We got to <laughs> talk about this. And so, <laughs> and so, no, I was so encouraged. I was like, great, this is great um, because it, it's, it's, it's needed. You know, it's something that we have to talk about. And so, so your, your journal article, Race Tests, um, you know, can I just call it race test? Let me say the sure. to- total name so people can look, them, look Absolutely. it up. Absolutely, folks, check it out. It's very good. Check it out. Go and find it and read it and pass it around. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> race test, racial boundary maintenance in white evangelical churches. So, um, so I want to just ask you, Glenn, just about what is a race test for our listeners in layman's terms? You talked mm-hmm. about how they um, they manifest in two different ways. There's a utility-based test and there's mm-hmm. an exclusionary um, test. So can you just break that down for our listeners um, and yeah, and just tell them what that is and what that looks like in white, white evangelical um, spaces? It's not just those spaces, but even in white spaces, but we're talking about the white evangelical church here. Yeah. So a, a race test is basically a, an evaluation that whites do um, usually in, in groups around incoming people of color. And it's mm-hmm. a way for whites to see, are you going to play the racial game that they have set up? For some whites, what they want is to maintain an all-white space. Mm-hmm. And in that time, mm-hmm. they will execute what I call an exclusionary test, which is a series mm-hmm. of racialized performances to get you to choose not to be there as a person of mm-hmm. color. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is different from, say, old school Jim Crow, where you could just make a law and say we don't allow them. Right. Like a church doesn't want that on the books, but they still don't want the person necessarily. And Mm -hmm. so they have to do these other informal performances that have the same effect. Um, In other cases, churches want to uh, have people of color for you know, colorblind reasons or uh, sometimes for spiritual reasons, often for just um, stereotypical reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, they will do what I call utility-based tests in that case. They see you and then they say, okay, you know, will you serve the purpose? In other words, will you meet, uh, you know, will you have the, the proper utility for us uh, mm-hmm. in our congregation? And so they'll do a series of performances that will test your um, your racial politics. You know, are you going to be racially disruptive? Are you going to be properly middle class, depending on the space? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and will you do the kinds of racialized performances, like the stereotypical performances that we expect? So, and if you if you do, then come on in in small enough numbers to not actually change mm-hmm. the uh, you know the the flow and feel of the church and the space of the church. If yeah. you don't, then you can go too. Mm, okay. So, yeah, that's what a race test is in, in short. Yeah, that's good. Now, would you uh, would you say it's is it fair to say that utility based tests would be maybe a little bit more implicit and exclusionary based tests or more explicit or maybe it's not as simplistic or it, it can go both ways? What, what would you say? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say um, that one is necessarily more like that exclusionary tests are always more explicit. Mm-hmm. I think in the examples that I gave, uh, they tend to be more explicit. But at the end of the article, you can see where um, and, and we're going to get to some of the examples, I yes, hope. Right? Yes, okay. yes, we will. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I realize not everyone has read it. And so yes, um, well, no, the, the people like, want to hear so, the examples. They want to hear. <laughs> right? Hear oh, like, we're, good, good. I want to get to those. Um, so, you know, and some of the examples are really explicit and, and you'll see those. But in one of the examples that I give of an exclusionary test, 
um, I walk into a church of a thousand people. I stand right next to the welcoming table uh, as everyone files in, and then again as everyone files out. And a thousand people walk right past and never speak. Right. Right. right so right. you know, people. That's if, if you if. I think most white folks would, would see that and think that it's not explicit, right? Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. as a person of color who is trying yeah. to, you know, come into a church, you would read that as explicit. So, sure. um, you know, so it's it's difficult to say. Mm. And then, of course, some of the utility-based tests, like when the woman says, we've been looking for a, bl a, a, a man, <laughs> right? That's oh, right. pretty explicit, yeah. too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty deep. That, oh, that yeah. Was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you, can you unpack that? Why don't we go to some of the examples, if you don't mind? I, I really enjoyed the method, yeah, the methodology yeah. of your study. And so can oh, you man. just even just lift up a couple of those examples? And for our listeners, the ones that come to mind for you, Glenn, and um, I think it'll resonate with people. Okay, so let me start with, a, um, with an exclusionary mm -hmm. test. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll start with, uh, oh boy, I'll start with China Gun. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes. Now, listeners, we have given you all a trigger warning. We do want you to know that this this story it is. Um, you should know it really is. Uh, th there's racial sh slurs used in it, so we do want you all to just be prepared for that. Because uh, I almost fell out my chair reading this. It's <laughs> like what's happening. I almost so, fell out my chair living it. So. I, I'm sure you did. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but please do tell us. I just wanted to let our listeners know again because yeah. they say we don't give them enough trigger warnings. So, <laughs> oh, okay. so, so uh, you know, so I, I part of the study. Um, well, the the study was about. Uh, it's, let me start again. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So, race test is just a small part of the larger study. Yeah. As you mentioned, the book is saving whiteness. Sure. So, what I wanted to see was um, how is it that churches that claim to be uh, ecumenical, that claim to be, you know, bringing in everyone, including multiracial, um, turn out to be so narrow in their demographics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked at the literature, what people said was, well, you know, the church is historically segregated, the churches are residentially segregated, the churches, the, the religions globally are, are uh, segregated. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and regional, and I thought, well, where are the actual Christians in this, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. where are the actual people in the churches, and do we know that these are actually welcoming spaces? And mm -hmm. I have the benefit of being um, what I talk about as an outsider within, and, and that I am a Christian who's very familiar with the scripture. Sure. Um, and I'm black, and so I'm an insider in the sense that I'm a Christian and I have this familiarity, I'm an outsider in the sense that I'm black and I'm not already a part of these particular churches. So I'm in a good position to see what are the norms of the church that are based not around religion and faith, but are based around, in this case, race. Mm -hmm. So I went out looking for churches um, to, to, well, I went, I, at first I went out looking for churches to join. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the churches that I, that I went to join, I called China Gun Church. Um, I go, so I, I, I went and they invited me to, to Bible study, mm -hmm. um, where it's like a house church. And so there's about 20 people. And because evangelical churches tend to be uh, sex segregated, mm -hmm. they sent uh, all the guys outside and they, and they kept the women uh, inside. So I got with the guys and there are, um, I think, eight of us sitting around, um, you know, a patio outside. One person owns the, the house. 
Uh, I think I gave him the name Andrew. Mm-hmm. And they're all white men between, I think, 27 and 44, um, all college educated, mm-hmm. all uh, you know, doing well financially. So not the group that you're stereotyped as bigots, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, there's uh, there's me. Uh, it's my first time, and there's a, a Latino guy. His name is Emmanuel, who's sitting uh, next to me. And so the leader says, the leader of the group, he says, um, so why don't we all, you know, we have new faces. Why don't we all just go around and say our names and um, and say something, you know, interesting of, about yourself. And so the first person, uh, his name is Tony, I think, in the piece, and he says, well. Um, you know, my name is Tony, and uh, my favorite gun is a rifle, and uh, I shot it uh, like six weeks ago. What? And so, what? <laughs> right, right, all right. And I'm sitting thinking, okay, of all the interesting things, <laughs> right? Like, why are we talking about guns and when we shot them, and why is it so recent? And <laughs> like, and so, but that established a precedent. So now every person who went says their name and then what their favorite gun was. And, and we were talking about favorite gun, not like what gun you might have or you ever had or, no, what right, your favorite right. is of, of presumably sure. a lot. Um, wow. And uh, and when the last time was you shot it and nobody, I mean, and everybody was more recent than six weeks. So mm-hmm. this is a gun culture deeply. So they mm-hmm. so they go around uh, and it gets to it gets to Andrew who's sitting next to me and he's the guy who owns the house. He's not the leader of the group, but he owns mm-hmm. the house. And he says, well, uh, I don't even know what the name of my favorite gun is. But then he stands up and he looks at me and the Latino guy next to me, Emmanuel, and he says, I don't even know what what the uh, name of my favorite gun is. I just call it my China gun because when I shoot it, it goes chink, 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 chink. And as he's doing it, he's holding like a fake, like almost like shotgun style gun like at me and uh, and Emmanuel, oh and he's gosh. recoiling with every you know with every chink, right? Chink, 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 oh and oh uh, and forgive me for the for the racial slurs, but that, I mean it's important to yeah. the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone is laughing, like ha ha ha, you know, like mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is this is a great time. Mm-hmm. And except for me and Emmanuel, of course, right? And we're sitting in horror, and I'm looking. And I and I and I'm thinking like, wow, okay, so it was scary enough when everybody had a gun, right? But right. then now I've got gunplay pointed at me mm. and the Latino guy. We're with only first timers. We've got overt racist slurs mm-hmm. just being thrown out. We've got laughter around wow. it, right? Mm. So this is a hostile sure. space in 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 lots of ways. Then and so I say, well, I've never shot a gun. Uh, I'm not a big fan of guns, and right. we move on. Emmanuel says, yeah, my name is Emmanuel, same thing as Glenn said. Then the next person says, um, <laughs> I, and I forget what name I gave him at this time. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, what he said, we got to right. the exactly. <laughs> Where is Underground Railroad? <laughs> exactly. For real. For real. Exactly. I'm like, bro, we got to go. Get out, I'm get telling out. you. Oh, I have been to the Armitages so that many was times. Jeremy. In my life. That was Jeremy. When you were uh, telling the story, I was like, wait a minute. Yes, like yes, yes. I've met Jeremy. I have met Rose. But you, but you met, met them at so, church, and this is why this is so gripping and so painful, exactly. particularly to believers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And then the last, the last guy in this particular group, he says, 
yeah, well, you know, my favorite gun is, and it was an automatic rifle. Um, and he says, you know, because uh, my, my brother-in-law and I, we bought $4,000 in guns and bullets when Obama was elected uh, but, so oh. before he could come get them, right? Okay. So wow. it's hostile on the politics. It's violent, uh. right? And what gets you is that they're pulling up this whole history of racist violence, right? Yep. Like they're pulling up a history of whites, and I say history, but we all know like Michelle is dealing with Stockley right now, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's not actually history, it's very present, but it's a history right. and a present where these racist terms are used in the context of violence against us. We have to take that seriously as people of color, whether sure. we're in church or we're not, right? And you, know, you would hope that church would be a safe space. You would hope that it would be uh, a respite, uh, you would hope that you'd be able to focus on the, the goodness and grace of God. Mm -hmm. And instead, you're here worrying about the safety of your life. Instead, you're here having white folks call up, you know, in my mind, it, lynchings were called up. Um, you know, the the, the yeah. kinds of things like Stockley, you know, are, are called up, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and Trayvon and, and things like that, right? So, um, mm. you know, so it's it's deeply painful and you can't even begin to get to the word. You know, in that case, because oh. you got to deal with your with your safety wow. first, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you know, and so then you leave, and there's a narrative among the whites mm -hmm. that it's so unfortunate that people of color just never choose to be with us, right? In other words, <laughs> they never choose to put, uh, you know, put the interest of God and the church and you, you know and racial mm -hmm. reconciliation above their racialized interests, there and so they want to be comfortable. They don't want to do the work of being with us, you know. And and then they tell the narrative of we're doing all we can, we're reaching out, you know. And 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 in and in the white folks' minds in this in this China Gun story, for instance. They are explicit in saying, well, we did this to introduce ourselves to you, to introduce you to the space. You know, it was supposed to be welcoming. So they have a narrative about welcome and we have a narrative about fear. Mm -hmm. And you can see how that is, is, a, is a serious problem for any kind of racial unity wow. in the church. Wow, that's, that is out, that's an outstanding, I think, analysis there about that, that absolute mm -hmm. contradiction, right? That some people's very yeah. form of assertion of their identity and hospitality is a reminder of what other people have to fear, right? So, exactly. so yes. embedded exactly. in your actual identity formation is the uh, devaluing of another group of people. Man, yeah, how, how can you yep. even express hospitality without rightfully triggering fear in the person that you're supposed to be welcoming? Mm. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and I think worse still, is that one of the functions of the church is to meet these um, deep emotional and spiritual needs. And I think, you know, for us as people of color, having safety is required to get to that mm -hmm. place. And this is the problem. For whites, I think, oftentimes our absence is a requirement for them getting to the space of feeling safe, yeah. right? In order yeah. to do that. So the mm -hmm. whole notion of church can't function for both people at the same time. We can't wow. be we can't be present and safe and they can't be present and uh and safe uh at the same time because their definition of safety is our exclusion, mm. right? Mm. Even if so, they don't know that, and if, if they and don't if know they, that implicitly, right? Even right, if they don't right. know that, yeah. right? Like, you know, this is, you know, and there's lots of literature Absolutely. around implicit bias and, you know, all those sorts sure. of things, right? So, you know, so they can't get to do the things that they need to do in church if we're even present. 
much less mm -hmm. if we start yeah. to have the conversation about uh, about racism in the church, right? Like that just destroys the whole atmosphere for them. And so it's a it's an it's an existential problem. It's a very deep, mm -hmm. very serious problem. So Glenn, I'm, I'm you know everybody who every researcher knows right that <laughs> you you do your very best to have kind of a clean research project, but you you anticipate the pushback the the critiques, right? So yes. give me a sense of some of the things that um, you have already heard or that you might anticipate hearing in terms of a critique to the research that you are putting forward and what will be a work, a larger work that will come out in the future. And how would you respond yeah. to some of those things? Oh, wow. Um, respond to your critics well, right now. I like <laughs> Uh, you know, right? Talk I, to your I, haters. I, I, Get him to turn, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. <laughs> you know, um, Wendy, uh, my co-author, Wendy Moore, is really great at, at helping me because I, I used to anticipate their critiques even in the writing. And she said, uh. you know, once you lay out what's going on with them and what's going wrong, like, don't focus on don't focus on the haters, right? Like, let, mm -hmm. <laughs> let them go, right? right? So I don't spend a lot of time, even when they, um, even when they, they come for me, like, I don't spend a lot of time sure. Sure. thinking about them. That, that, that said, um, <sighs> I think people, people feel like I am, well, one, one critique that I get is that it's very mm -hmm. masculine um, uh, because, and, and there's a reason for that. Uh, the re the work, you know, the church is sex segregated. So I didn't have Gender the apartheid. kind of, I mean, right. You know? And so I didn't have the kind of access into women's groups, sure. um, that I wouldn't, you know, would I, that I would have liked to have had. So people feel like, well, these kinds of race tests, maybe these kinds of race tests are, uh, are gendered in a way that I'm not picking up. And mm -hmm. that may be that may be the case, and I would completely invite people to um, to do follow-up work, uh, mm -hmm. but take several friends to look out for your safety, especially if you are, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know a, a, a young woman who wants to do this kind of work or an older woman mm -hmm. who wants to do this kind of work. Um, so that that's one of the critiques I get. Uh, another is that people, um, oh my God, this, mm -hmm. this in the writing, the you know when you when you write an academic article, it goes out for peer review, and then people sure. you know write back. And I got the most uh, offensive reviews <laughs> for this piece. Um, people told me, uh, you know, if I understood anything about race and integration or race and churches, I would understand that race that racial integration never happens without a mandate. Um, that nobody will integrate by force, and so this isn't about white white folks or white uh, evangelicals and anything about the institution or the church or anything else. This is just about nature and uh, how dare I take nature to basically um, to to make whites feel bad. One person wrote um, one person wrote if uh, as as and <laughs> this really got me from academics as scholarship. This is good. Uh, and if all you want to do is talk about the problems of the church, you've done a fine job. But if you want white people to actually hear you, then you need to change oh, all the language totally in your study. Totally <laughs> you to, no. right? 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 And and right, and I'm like, okay, but <laughs> if I changed all the tone in my study, like what you're really saying is, <laughs> say it in a way that white people would be able to read it and then it not feel like they had to make a change. Exactly. <laughs> right? So like, do your work. 
but then do it in a way that could never help the yeah. church improve. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's not a good Christian thing to do. <laughs> right. You know, like beyond, especially since you already conceded that the academics are good, right? Like, you know, the research is good. So now you're just worried about the church and now you want to, you know, like to, uh, make it more difficult for the church mm. to benefit. That feels like you're doing the, the, the harm to the body of Christ. Instead yeah, I mean, of well, me, you're literally you know? quoting other people. And so it sounds like what they're asking is, I want you to take those statements and I want you to clean, I want you to change what you've heard, which is not, you know, <laughs> yes. there, there's yeah. a credibility issue there. No. no. <laughs> Thank you. Blatant <laughs> dishonesty, <laughs> right? What, it's what <laughs> said, so. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. Right. It's really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I, but I, I try not to spend sure. a lot of time sure. <laughs> sure. on them. For sure. Yeah. Sure. No, yeah, that's good. Um, what would you say, um, just from reading uh, the study, what would you say to the person who actually administers these race tests? Cause we have a whole swath of people that, you know, listen mm -hmm. to tr truth tables. So, mm -hmm. um, what would you say to the person? Like what, I guess, what's the most practical like application would you say, um, of the study? So for the person that actually administers these race tests and who is now listening to this episode and who's like, Oh shoot, I've done this. Um, what would you say to that person? And what would you say to the individual who has actually had the race test administered on them? Like, what would you say to that person of color who has had to actually jump through these hoops and actually go through these racial tests? What, so what's your advice? to the one who actually administers the test and the one who's taken the test and maybe okay. failed or fled. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the, the first, and, and worse, the person who passed, that, that, that person is That's the, the one. world of hurt. Yeah, right? so all three of them, talk to them, talk um, to them. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All three groups, seriously. Um, yeah, the one who failed, the one who passed, and the one who administered to it. Yeah. Administered. So the first, the first thing I would say is that I, I try to be really overt in the piece and in, in, in mm. saying, this is a, an institutional, this is a cultural thing. And I don't mean cultural like the whole United States. I mean like institutional and cultural within the church and within particular mm -hmm. congregations, right? Yes, so yes. one of the things that I'm trying to say is it's not about finding the bigot or the bad apple in your mm -hmm. congregation. It's, it's, not, it's not even so much about, um, well, it's not about finding the bigot within your congregation. It's about mm -hmm. understanding how your whole congregation functions yeah, as a white yeah. space, right? Sure. It's about understanding mm -hmm. that even in this moment, like the, the, the China gun example, let's say that I was just determined to stay. Like I had um, felt a calling to be in this particular you know, church. Sure. And so I was gonna stay no matter what happened. Well then who do I go to with a complaint and say, this is the mm -hmm. situation? Mm -hmm. There's if I go to anyone, it's going to be probably another white person mm -hmm. who probably and I and I sh would have every reason to believe would have the same uh, racial predilections and fears and you know yeah, concerns and viewpoints, sure. et cetera, mm -hmm. that right that the people I just talked to did right and and and, I, yeah. and in this particular church I could go all the way up the entire movement and never mm -hmm. see another and never see a person of color who to talk to and, and mm -hmm. have this discussion so it's institutional in that it's systemic um as an as a as in terms of leadership it's institutional in that the way that the 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 lessons are even not even just the way that they're taught but the actual like exegesis that they that they mm -hmm. use mm -hmm. are are often um white and require people of color to functionally damn their own uh, traditions or their own people wow. uh, in order to be read as good Christians or oh, even wow. to get, you know, it all, get the word 
uh, that they're given. Mm. So think about it in those terms mm -hmm. and in, a, in, in, in less personal terms. That's, that's what I would say. The other thing I would also say for congregations is that they should remember, um, you know, one race test drowns out a thousand mm. welcomes. Yep. Right. Mm. Because I only have one life to live. I only need one person standing up, you know, like <laughs> shooting a China gun at me to say, I got to go. And the rest of you could stand around and say, well, you know, I invited you to lunch and I said hello and da da da. But I cannot join that church with that kind mm. of thing happening. So you have yeah. to you have right. to understand um, these things from our perspective and not from uh, yeah, a, yeah. a white perspective. That's what I would say to, to these uh, majority white churches that I'm talking about. In terms yeah. of people of color, people of color who fail the race test, um, I, I, in the sense that you are excluded from a church that you'd yes. like to be a part of, um, you know, I, at first, I let me say I feel your pain. I know <laughs> that <laughs> I know that it hurts. Yeah. Um, and I know that these particular memories are really um, scarring. Um, I would say, you know, don't give up on God and see, which is not the same as saying don't give up on that particular <laughs> congregation. It may yes. not be the congregation for yes. you. Okay. Hello. Just um, seriously. Yes. Very important. Yes. You're right. Yes. But you know, like, see, see what God, you know, has for you. Um, but failing in terms of not, not being allowed into the church. Again, I would encourage you to read that as a as a failure of the church and the congregation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not as a failure of you to be um, mm. acceptable. Okay, don't yeah. don't 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 change yourself around that. For people who passed, and and that's yeah. that's the group that I really wrote this for because you know I like I say I served for five and a half years. You know I mm. spent a lot of time passing these kinds of tests. You know mm. when I was serving, and I didn't even understand them as race tests at the time. I, yeah. I just, you know, understood them as the work of church or, you know, the work of being around white folks in general. Mm. Um, and I would really encourage you to really think about what it is that you need uh, out of a congregation. What is it that you need out of church? Right. Um, you know, because like I said, if you're worried about um, dis social distancing, if, if you're worried about, uh, you know, threats of violence or, you know, all these kinds of things, if you're worried about not being understood, then that is a spiritual problem too. It, you yes. cannot have the full benefits of church in those circumstances. And I, and I believe that for most of us, the Lord God has set up church to be a, a place of service. You know, some of us are doing service in the church to, you know, ministering, and some of us are being ministered to. And it's important that you're able to be, that you're in a place where you can be ministered to. Um, so always be having that check. You know, when I, when I joined, um, you know, evangelical churches and, and I was working, I did so um, on the belief that, you know, it was what God had called me to do. But then, I, I, and I shouldn't say but then, but you know, like at the, at the end of it, I did know I was spent and I had done um, all, the, all the work that I could do. And so I, I asked God, I was like, God, you know, look, um, I, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> I, need, mm -hmm. I need some space here. And um, this is a little different here, but let me say, I, when I left, I prayed and it was about about another five years of me just saying, God, I need you to go back and take the whiteness out of my faith. Mm -hmm. And because I can't do it, I can't. I realized that when I was reading scripture, 
I was reading it with the, the teachings of the white church. When I was, you know, looking mm. at the world and discerning what was happening, there was a lot of whiteness in it and that I couldn't get the whiteness out of my faith. And so I literally um, was, you know, prayed through it, prayed through it. And, uh, and I, I remember one day mm. just being in my bed and, and praying about this and having a, a vision, kind of like an Abrahamic vision, right? Where I was Abraham and I just, took Isaac slash Jesus and I put him on an altar and I said, mm. Jesus, I need you to get yourself up because I have to sacrifice the white Jesus that I know mm. so that I can so that I can be in contact mm. with you, the wow. real Jesus again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Lord God over those five years was so good to me and so gracious with me and really revealed uh, himself again. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I kind of consider my salvation, you know, I know that theologically it's like a momentary thing, but this kind of the, the mm. working out mm. and the actual salvation right. feels so tied to me um, and largely around, uh, you know, God having to reveal and showing me like my, my natural eyes and my teaching and, and, you know, being taught to study and all those sorts of things was not going to be enough to get me all the way back into strong mm. connection with him. So, mm. um, yeah. So, you know, so I think for those of you who are who have who are who have passed the race test, um, I hope that you hear even in my story about getting the whiteness out of my faith. Like it doesn't it doesn't always feel like you're losing something like something's missing, but mm. something is missing. Mm. And you need to to get in contact with God um, around and talk about that particular issue. Ooh, that was good. Thank you so much for sharing that, Glenn. I mean, now, what, what would you say is like um, for our listeners who are listening, what's what's an example um, of the whiteness that you were picking up in your own, um, you know, Bible reading or your own, you know, um, approach to scriptures or sermons? What what What's an example of that so that it's so it's not as vague for people when they're listening? Like, what does that look yeah, like? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. Because, yeah, um, I'll actually give you an, an example from the book. Um that's oh, okay. not in this particular chapter. It's sure. actually in the next chapter. Um, so during the research, I went to one church, and one of their um, one of their tasks was, or you know, ministries rather, was to uh, to mm. children of color um, mm. in the in the city, and that was a whole other thing. <laughs> but but uh, one of their ministries was to them, and so they were teaching. Um, I think they're teaching the story of Daniel this particular day, mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah. Daniel was talking about how, oh, and they were t talking about how uh, God would raise up good leaders and tear down bad leaders and uh, raise up good countries and tear down bad countries. And so this little black girl is in the front and she's listened to the message and she, she asked the first question. She's like eight years old. She asked the first question. The guy says, yes. And she says, does this mean God is going to destroy the United States? <laughs> okay. That's the most logical right? conclusion. Yeah. Right? Right? Trust and black he, women. Black right? Girls. And girls. And he, and he said, no, no. The United States is a good country. God, has, God is going to protect the United States. It's the bad what? countries that God will destroy. Right? <laughs> and so, right, exactly. Exactly, Christina. Thank the you. little girl's like, tell me my time. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I thought oh. to myself, right? Like, you know, hopefully that little girl, like, will keep her wokeness, you know, her <laughs> whole life. Oh, but, but, there like, <laughs> but there were like, but there were like 20 wow. children. 
wow. right? Who are sitting listening to the authority figure yeah. define what the Bible means, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because the, the Bible doesn't say exactly what a good kingdom is in a way that seven and eight year olds will understand. Yeah. But here's a young 20 something year old who's teaching them and saying, no, no, no what the United <laughs> States does is good. So her critique obviously had a racial right. critique, right? Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. he's explicitly saying is, no, God is not concerned about racial injustice. That's not the mm -hmm. issue, right? Mm -hmm. That's not important to God. Mm -hmm. That doesn't decide good, bad. That's not wow. even an issue of sin. We're talking about these other things over here, right? And so yeah. these kids can grow up with an, a, a definition of sin, in this case, that's based in whiteness, not based in the scripture. Mm -hmm. And you can find that over and over and over again. I think about the example that um, Michelle gave, and, and, I, and I actually have a similar example in the... Um, in the piece, but you know, like what was it last week that Michelle was talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, her family going to the church and the pastor having the life-size yes. <laughs> painting. So yes. Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson in the, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, in his yeah. office, right? And and I tell the story about going to a church uh, go, and, and uh, them meeting me at the door and, and because of my diction and oh, right. they, them thinking that I was white on the phone, right? And so they bring us in, they bring the, everybody and I was the only newcomer. And they said, well, before we start, let's go and let's have a tour of the house. And I'm thinking, why are we having a tour of the house? And they take us directly into the master bedroom, which is also odd, right? right. And as I'm walking in, I'm seeing like this whole wall of images like yellowed images and i'm like what is this and mm. i'm like huh this seems very 19th century <laughs> like you know i'm getting closer and i realize everybody's like in military garb and i was like oh my god right like this is these are pictures of the civil war right and so by that time the the male host is like standing over my shoulder and i said you know are these all pictures of the of soldiers from the civil war and he mm -hmm. says he says, yes, yes, like impressed that I would even know, right? Right, right. And I, <laughs> and I said, well, and I'm thinking, you know, how can I save myself here? I said, well, are they <laughs> union soldiers? You're like, please say they are, please. I mean, give me a Like, I'm <laughs> grasping here, right? I'm like, please, let them be. Oh, my gosh. He says, well, we had people fighting on both sides, but we only oh, put up the Confederate soldiers. Okay, bye. Oh. <laughs> right. 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 And so I make a phone call and then ran out of that space. Right. But, but like, you know, like, you know, so Michelle and I have a similar experience here where the, the Confederacy is being held up as the height of godliness. Right. Yeah. Like, and so you begin to read your saints. And I gave the story to Akemeni, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. in Chuck Swindoll's book, you know, oh, he right. opens by saying uh, Robert E. Lee and uh, Tom Landry, but he spent the most time in about Robert E. Lee being uh, an Elijah figure that the entire church should emulate, right? Mm. So the definition of what it is to be a good Christian has been uh, co-defined around a particular kind of whiteness. And we're not talking about a kind of whiteness that's mm -hmm. like the sojourner's whiteness, right? <laughs> like yeah, we're yeah. talking about overt slave protecting, slave holding, violent, masculine, you know, uh, kind of of racism that that they oh, that they teach informally and formally yes. as what Jesus and 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 the prophets and the church mm -hmm. and and actual Christianity are about. Mm -hmm. So you end up with a frame of examples and a frame of re, of ways to read the scripture that are based in whiteness and not based in God. Mm -hmm. And it takes a yeah. while to 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 clear that up mm. and get back to God. Mm, mm, mm. That's good. Really, really. Thank you so yeah, much for yeah. breaking that down for us.
No, thank you for the for question. Sure. I Man, appreciate Glenn, that. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you something, Glenn. You you just laying out some <laughs> like you're laying out some stories today. <laughs> I'm getting therapy. Honestly, I'm I really like, feel my help from this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm not gonna listen so to this. I know I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. I've been, I've been exactly. <laughs> you know. And as I was reading the article, yes. I was thinking about. Yes. Um, and although this is an in-group uh, colorism phenomena, I was thinking about brown paper bag mm -hmm. test. Um, and, and just mm, kind absolutely. of the explicit mm -hmm. nature of that, but this in some ways serving as an implicit form of brown paper bag test. So the, the question that I have for you, Glenn, and I th we're about to wind up our time today. Um, so, so a bit of the work mm -hmm. that I do, you know, all of us have kind of different, different stations, and I actually am a trainer. Um, and I, so I work with churches that are predominantly white or churches that would identify as multi-ethnic, oh, multi-racial, multicultural. Yeah. And we train around things like implicit mm -hmm. bias and a, and a variety of things. Mm -hmm. And so as I was listening to your study, I was mm -hmm. trying to, to glean potential application. And so even the ability to give this to someone and say, you should read this and think about what this means in your community. But right, I was curious right. if you could give, give, mm -hmm. give me and anyone else who's listening some pointers, maybe potentially about how we could apply uh, this research to actually helping churches that want to do better, um, that want to honor God uh, in their community by, by truly making it a place that mm -hmm. is repentant mm -hmm. um, and is, it is biblically mm -hmm. hospitable to whoever God sends to that place. So what mm -hmm. might be some applications for the local church? <laughs> yeah. That's a doozy. Yeah. Go to church now. It is. It is. You know. We do. Yes, remember that. Um, so, you know, I, I'll say one thing, and this this is not going to sound specific, but I, yeah. I think mm -hmm. it will help in in specificity. Is start by framing the whole experience, and I mean from how where your church physically is and how it's set up and the and then the doctrine and the and the worship and the the people and the handshakes and you know every single thing S start by not thinking about it through white eyes but start thinking about it through people of color's eyes and when i say mm -hmm. people of color's eyes i mean domestic critical mm -hmm. people of color mm -hmm. a lot of white churches will diversify themselves by uh, reaching out to international folks yes. um, and yes. other folks that, that don't have the same uh, history sure. of criticism. Yes. Um, and, and that's because they want the credit for being, you know, multiracial, but they don't want to deal with the problems. The yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So so when I say think about it from these perspectives, I'm saying like this particular kind of critical perspective and then center that that mm -hmm. non-white perspective. So I'll use black in, in my case because, um, sure. you know, of my own history. Right. Right. Um, so then once you start doing that, then questions like, uh, you know, should we have well, questions like, you know, uh, what the what the what the how to read. A, a, a mm. national issue, like, you know, like how to, uh, the application part mm -hmm. of your sermon, for instance, right? Yeah. Would yeah. the application be the same if you were thinking through, mm -hmm. you know, black eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Critical black eyes. Mm -hmm. um, would you choose the same uh, Bible study uh, materials? Would mm -hmm. you still be a part of the, of the association mm -hmm. that you are if mm -hmm. you were thinking through black eyes, right? Um, then, uh, 
you know, things like implicit bias, for instance, and you know, I'm just going to use that because you, sure. you mentioned it. Um, you know, oftentimes I think implicit bias is brought up as a way of helping white people by that recenters them by saying, hey, I, I believe you're not a bad person. Um, you know, there's just this like, you know, thing that you can't help and that you don't even know that's that's going on. Mm-hmm. And so it's about it's a it's a race lesson that's that's centered on being mm-hmm. palatable to whites. And and I and, all, and although I know a wise man makes knowledge palatable, mm-hmm. if your lesson is the first criterion of your lesson is palatability to whites, then I think you should mm-hmm. should get another lesson, right? Yeah. You should think about it um, very differently. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the church, because the orientation around that, and again, I, you know, to me, a lot of these things get solved when you think about your original orientation. The orientation around that is, hey, white folks, um, you know, I don't want you to have to do a lot of things differently. We're really kind of close mm. to racial justice. Um, you know, if you if you can make these little adjustments, then we're going to be there. And yeah. that's just yeah. not true. Right. The truth is that we happen to be in a historical moment where maybe more than our than than our just weight is put on us where we have to be really overt and really focused on dealing with this and taking it up as a cause if we're going to move the church toward uh, the body that God wants. And so that would be the orientation and and the kind of language um, that I would that I would use. And then I would go out and I would choose, um, you know, readings and, you know, like James Cone, Black Theology, Black Power. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, As something to have in your in your reading groups or in your Bible studies and or at least as a way of uh, interpreting some scriptures and and, and just remake everything from there. Mm. I don't know. Is that is that practical enough for you, Christina? Or or maybe you have some examples. No, no. I think that's super helpful. And I think at the very least, bringing before people a variety of theologies so that they can understand and see yes. their cultural orientation. When you're majority culture, majority whatever, the, one of the biggest issues that we deal with is that people, because of privilege, don't see themselves right unless that's being put upon in some way, and then mm-hmm. they really fiercely. Uh, protect themselves, right? Then they really see themselves when they have to be asked to, mm-hmm. when they're asked to shift or change. But um, but I do think the point that yes. you're raising at the end about putting before people a host of theology so that they can understand that their theological tradition rests within a cultural reality is incredibly important. For 2017, exactly. I've yeah. intentionally yeah. only read commentaries that are Eastern. This has been my, <laughs> so I'm like, did someone from Sri Lanka yes. write that? That's mm-hmm. what I want to read. Yeah. Um, so, but I think that we have mm-hmm. to continue to push ourselves to really value the Catholicity of the church. Um, and I think that also in and of itself yes. begins to dismantle kind of white-centered, white supremacist theologies that we have all internalized. Um, people of color have internalized, right? Sure. So um, so I think, yeah. that, I think that's super helpful, mm-hmm. super helpful. What were you gonna say to us, Akimini? Well, actually, I do have two more questions. One question uh, I wanted to ask you, um, Glenn, is are you currently in a multi-ethnic church now, or are you now back in the Baptist <laughs> Pentecostal church, or where are you now? No, you don't have to tell us the name of the church, but where, you know, where, where are you situated now, would you say? Yeah, no, I'm in a, I'm in a Baptist-Costal uh, church, uh, <laughs> Pentecostal church, um, and... Uh, you know, I, <laughs> if you're Game of Thrones fans, I feel like uh, I I at am. least for the time my, my watch is ended. Um, <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and um, you know, and it's and it's time for me to to 
do my service in a different way. Amen. But, you don't lose. You are not going to lose your reward for doing that. You know, no, which is something no, that I, I mentioned last week. Like, it's okay, y'all. It really is. And really so is. you go where the Lord has led you to go. Okay, yeah, and you're faithful where He puts you. Um, everywhere you go, there will be sinners, and we've just increased the number by our presence. So every so every place we go, there yep. will have yep. their there will be their yep. set of set of struggles that the Lord uses to sanctify us for sure. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the truth. Exactly. That is the truth. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we don't want our humanity, questioning our humanity, to do uh, those things. Sure. And so- Although, you know, <laughs> we talk about gender in church, too, Akimini, right? So I think it's one of those things yeah. where, yeah. because of intersectionality, we are always constantly negotiating. Um, totally. Yeah. It's real. It's real. Always yeah. negotiating <laughs> as black women. It is real. It is yeah. real. So, Glenn, well, we're, we're... And I want to say... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, and it's my obligation as a man to step up and talk about those things. Right? Say that. I, you know, yes. and, and do something about it. I, you know, the same advice I was giving just a minute ago, you know, like, I sometimes I think about the Proverbs 31 woman, <laughs> but I think about... I try to think about it not from his perspective, but from hers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... This woman is uh, doing a lot, <laughs> you know. Oh, like okay. maybe this woman is living a double shift, and like <laughs> he can do a little housework too, you know. Like Come on. maybe we can talk about that, you know, from the pulpit. But I've I've never heard anybody talk about it from the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. She does you know, have those. She does have those maid servants. You know, that's, that's pretty nice too. <laughs> that that is helpful. That, that is helpful. But, no, but I no, don't no, want to no, encourage no, slavery no, no, again, no, no, right? No, no, so, please, right, right. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. I, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I mean, the dishwasher and and my washing machine are my helpers. Yes, for the win. Exactly. <laughs> yes, but our spouses can be there too. So yes, exactly, in very practical and tangible ways, people. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what, Glenn? We are going to. We want you to have the final word on our question: Are multi-ethnic churches a foretaste of heaven, or bulwarks of white supremacy, or both? So sound <laughs> off. <laughs> well, at, at the moment, multi-ethnic churches are so mm-hmm, rare are. <laughs> that yeah. it's hard to even talk about them as bulwarks of anything. Right. Um, that said, um, I I think that in our lived experience right now, they are bulwarks of white supremacy. Yeah. Um, and that even, even most white, I mean, most uh, multiracial churches are still built on white norms. But I do believe that just as there's no marriage in heaven, there's no nope. race uh, in heaven. Um, and I believe that, yes. mm-hmm. and I believe that the Lord God will be, yes, that's right. And that, uh, the Lord God will be good to us. But, um, in this present moment, uh, I, I, I hate to bring a bad report, but I, I do no, believe just, that they no, are. Just bring a tree. Bible man. At the time. <laughs> yes. That's the, that, that, just speaking as a social scientist, that is, um, that's what the, the data would say. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? Thank you for bringing that true report to Truth's table. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, Glenn, we are so honored that you came and sat at the table with us and broke down your research for us. And I found it to be very helpful and therapeutic Uh, for me personally. (laughs) Thank you so very much. So very much. um, If people are interested in the paper, uh, I've posted it on my uh, website at Villanova. Um, so you can go to just go to Villanova's webpage and then you can search for Glenn Bracy 
um, and you can find that in some of my other work. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Glenn Bracey two. That it's the number two. So G L E N N B R A C E Y number two. Yay. All right. Great. Yes. Okay. Great. So yes. So please follow Glenn on the Twitters and uh, <laughs> check out his uh, Villanova, uh, Villanova page so that you can read that test, um, that actual that journal article. So Thanks, thank you. Glenn. Thank you. Thank you so much for sitting at the table with us. Thank <laughs> y'all. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And keep the podcast going. I love it. We will by God's <laughs> grace. <laughs> God's grace. <laughs> thank you so much at the table with us this week and we want to thank our listeners um, for sitting at the table with us of course as always let's keep the conversation going tweet us your thoughts about multi-ethnic churches a foretaste of heaven or bulwarks of white supremacy using the hashtag truths table follow us on twitter and instagram at truths table or email us your thoughts as you guys often do at asktruthstable at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review the show on itunes and subscribe on the satchel podcast player truths table is made possible in part by Pottery studios visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment our producer for the show is joshua heath and our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Ekemini and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.